This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A man found dead underneath the Golden Ears Bridge. Police say he was known to them. We're going to push for spring. Province getting ready to announce new legislation on ride-sharing, but how close are we really to getting Uber or Lyft? Let's go out and vote. Have you voted in the referendum? And democracy deadline. Three leaders out pushing British Columbians to fill in their PR ballot on time. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We start tonight with how the body of a dead man was discovered underneath the Golden Ears Bridge. There's been a huge police presence in Maple Ridge all day today. IHIT has now taken over. Our Tanya Beja is live at the scene with the latest. Tanya. Well, Sonia, police were called to this area around 11.30 this morning following the discovery of a man's body under the Golden Ears Bridge. Now, the coroner arrived just a short time ago. Members of the integrated homicide investigation team are also here but have not yet provided an update. Uh, what I can tell you is that the body was discovered face down, uh, lying in a rural area of Hammond between the shipyard and the Catesy First Nation Reserve. RCMP were asked about reports that a group of men, about half a dozen men, crossed the police tape today wearing Hells Angels insignia, but police would not comment on that. They were also asked whether the victim was known to them, and here's what they had to say. Is he known by police I believe so. Yes. But I do know the RCMP were contacted by Maple Ridge Fire. Usually uh, the amount of officers... Um, number we required is based on the crime scene itself. So this being an open area, especially close to the water, and uh, just on the road, uh, we need a large, large police presence. No word yet on the victim's identity or whether his death is linked in any way to the ongoing gang violence we've seen around the Lower Mainland. Sonia, back to you. All right, Tanya, thank you very much for that. Grief counsellors are being brought in to deal with the tragic death of a woman that was killed in a car crash on Barnet Highway. The woman was a support worker at Templeton Secondary School in Vancouver. Staff and students will be getting support tomorrow. Friends and family have identified Nicole Porcello as the victim of the rollover crash on Barnet Highway on Friday night. A man was also hurt. Both he and Porcello rushed to hospital, but she later died of her injuries. Police are treating the crash as suspicious. IHIT is also now investigating. Flowers have since been laid at the crash scene. Porcello was a student support worker for students with special needs. Her colleagues remember her as being kind and committed to her students. Richmond RCMP are on the hunt for a suspect who dragged one of their own officers after speeding off 
from a traffic stop earlier today. It happened just after 9.30 this morning near Number 3 Road and Steveston Highway. Now, the officer had stopped a suspicious vehicle on foot, but the driver took off, dragging the officer along and seriously injuring him. Police now looking for a dark-coloured, late-model four-door Mercedes-Benz with tinted windows. They also say the car might have damage to the driver's side door or a cracked windshield. The veteran officer is expected to recover. Getting some breaking news in tonight, North Shore Rescue is searching for two hikers missing near Mount Seymour. The man and woman were apparently hiking down from Dog Mountain when they became lost. They are believed to be OK. A rescue operation is just getting underway. We will bring you more details uh, when they become available to us. Now, if you're one of those people who have felt the pain of trying to get a cab and want BC to bring in ride sharing, details tonight on how we could be a step closer by tomorrow. Let's bring in our Keith Baldry from Victoria on this one. We are, Keith, talking about some new legislation here. Yeah, finally. I mean, the NDP had promised to have ride-sharing up and running in B.C. back in 2017. We're still a long ways from that, but at least we are getting now the formal uh, declaration from the government. There will be a bill introduced by Transportation Minister Claire Trevena tomorrow afternoon. That bill, single bill, will amend a number of existing pieces of legislation. Take a look at them. First of all, uh, the Passenger Transportation Act, the Insurance Vehicle Act, the Motor Vehicle Act, the Commercial Transport Act as well as the Local Government Act, the Community Charter, and the Vancouver Charter. So those bills, all those existing bills, some of which have been on the books for well more than a century, have to be amended in this single piece of legislation. We caught up with Green Party leader Andrew Weaver, who's been pushing for this for years. He's introduced private member bills himself to bring in ride-sharing that have been defeated. And he's cautiously optimistic of what he hears, but he hopes it can be up and running in the spring. Here's Andrew Weaver. We're going to push for spring. We'll see how, how, how that plays out. Uh, honestly, there's no reason why we can't move forward. You know, again, I, I hear a litany of complaints from people who get off at Vancouver Airport. There's no taxis. It's essentially happening all over the world. We need to get the program here. All right. I think a lot of people would agree with Andrew Weaver <laughs> that we need to catch up. But the idea of having uh, ride sharing here by spring, is that realistic? Well, people I talk to in the industry and uh, familiar with it in government point to the fall, most likely of 2019, as the most likely date for getting this stuff up and running. Uh, the, the devil's in the details, Sonia. Tomorrow we're going to get legislation. Unclear how much of this is going to be accomplished through cabinet orders and regulations. Things like how many zones are there? Do we get rid of the existing taxi zones? Will there be surge pricing? I kind of find it hard to believe that's all going to be in the legislation tomorrow, which means more consultation, perhaps even more committee work, and that means even more time spent studying this rather than implementing it. So my bet is next fall. All right, Keith, thanks very much for that. We look okay. forward to more updates tomorrow. Keith Baldry live from Victoria for us tonight. Uh, now let's bring you the latest on the deadlock at Canada Post. There is still no deal between the two sides. Now the union representing postal workers wants the federal government to bring in a mediator to help them reach an agreement. Holiday season, of course, is around the corner. Millions of deliveries now in jeopardy. Mike Armstrong reports. Canada Post's rotating strikes hit Edmonton Sunday, just hours after the latest offer from the corporation expired. Union did put forward a counteroffer, but chose to let the corporation's offer die on the vine. There's no point in putting an offer to a vote when we know it's going to be rejected. We know where our members stand, and they stand behind our demands. 
Now, the two sides aren't far apart on salary. The union wants a 2.9% increase per year. Canada Post is offering 2% with a $1,000 signing bonus. Where they're hitting a roadblock, according to the union, is on pay equity for rural and suburban mail carriers. That's about 8,000 of the corporation's 50,000 employees. We have many workers, rural, rural and suburban workers, that are not getting paid for all the hours they're putting out on the routes. The other big hitch is workload. The union says members are forced to do too much and that it's led to what it calls an injury crisis. We're now five times higher injury rates than any other federal sector employees across the country. The mail carriers union is now asking Ottawa to appoint a mediator. There hasn't been a response to that request, although the Prime Minister weighed in on Twitter Saturday night. He wrote that Canadians in the holiday season depend on Canada Post and urged the two sides to resolve their differences quickly and reach a deal. While the rotating strikes are having an impact, there are reports the backlog of packages is five times what it would be in a normal year. The Retail Council of Canada is warning of chaos in the coming weeks. It says this season is too important to businesses for the backlog to continue to grow. Parcel shipping doubles in the next week and continues for several weeks at twice the rate. So if they're already bursting at the seams, then that extra flow through is going to be really problematic. The two sides both claim to be working towards a settlement and talks continue in Ottawa. Negotiations have now been going on for close to a year, but the calendar is clearly adding urgency. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. Now, of course, there is a knock-on effect the postal dispute is having on our mail-in ballot on electoral reform. The No Camp has been pushing for the voting period to be extended beyond November 30th. Turnout right now is only 18%. As Paul Johnson reports, today leaders on both sides were out in full force pushing people to fill out their ballots. We know how important pro-rep is to our generation of voters and future generations to come. Young and open-minded. They're the ones who seem most in favor of ditching BC's current electoral system in favor of proportional representation. No surprise then that the yes side had them front and center at this morning's well-attended rally in East Van, where Premier John Horgan put on his shades to lead a procession out to the mailbox. With Elections BC reporting less than 20% of the electorate has voted so far, the Premier didn't seem concerned about the prospect of winning without an indisputable mandate. I think it's uh, premature to even have that discussion. I know that question will come to me in two weeks' time, and I'll wait to answer it then. So thanks for coming out, y'all. <laughs> but across town, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson had his own team of young partisans on the no side. Thanks for coming out. With their own idea of what it means to be lit and woke. My family immigrated here when I was little. There's a good reason we came here because this is a stable, respectful society and that's partly because we have a parliamentary system and people mess with that at their peril. I know everyone in this room is woke and that's why you're all here today. And there's still yet another dimension of complexity in this pro-rep vote. Division within parties themselves. You might recognize this man from his many years of organizing for the NDP. But Bill Thielman is a leading voice on the no side, which also includes former premiers Glenn Clark and Ujjal Dosanjh. It does split uh, within parties, and there are liberals who want proportional, and there are new Democrats who don't want it, and Greens who don't want it. Just in case you were waiting for the day when some leading new Democrats would be voting 
the same way as the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party. Have you voted in the referendum? Paul Johnson, Global News. The B.C. government has launched a dirty money tip website to try to end money laundering in real estate, horse racing and the luxury car market. Attorney General David Eby is encouraging British Columbians to report potential money laundering in those industries through an anonymous portal. The move comes months after the province's crackdown on dirty money in casinos. Money laundering report author Peter German is looking for information now on connections between organised crime and dirty money in the horse racing and luxury car industries and any links between organised crime and real estate transactions. The tip portal is going to be active until the end of January next year. The RCMP say an early morning fire in Surrey is now being investigated as a potential case of arson. Surrey firefighters say two men in their 30s escaped from this house at 120A Street at 100th Avenue after it erupted in flames just after three this morning. 22 firefighters fought the blaze on the fully involved home. Both men were taken to hospital with smoke inhalation. Two dogs were also found safe in the backyard. Now the cause is unclear but police are confirming an arson investigation is underway. A warning from Vancouver police about a man on parole who is now out at large. 34-year-old Tyler Gagnon is wanted on a Canada-wide warrant after he failed to return to his Vancouver halfway house. He's on parole after serving a nearly six-year sentence for robbery, assault and other offences. Gagnon is described as being white, 5 foot 9 and 190 pounds with black hair and hazel eyes. He was last seen Friday night wearing dark jeans, black running shoes, a black top, a jacket and a great baseball cap. If you do recognise this man, might know where he is, please call 911 right away. A bottle drive to raise funds for the victims' families of a fatal crash took place in Abbotsford today. Sarah Dillon was a nurse in a maternity ward at Abbotsford Regional Hospital. She died after her vehicle was hit by a Jeep Cherokee on 77th Avenue near 134th Street in Surrey on November the 4th. A 25-year-old man was charged with dangerous driving, causing death and bodily harm in connection with that crash. Two of the other passengers remain in hospital in a critical condition. Those taking part in today's community fundraiser hope money raised will help support Sarah's husband and three sons, as well as the families of the victims who are still fighting for their lives. Welcome back. While in Northern California, strong winds are hampering the progress crews are making to try to contain a wildfire that has now claimed at least 79 lives. Fears that that death toll will rise as nearly 1,300 people are still unaccounted for. In Northern California, this is what the campfire has left behind. Towns and homes destroyed. More than 1,000 people are missing and the death toll keeps rising. An additional five remains were recovered, uh, bringing the total to up to 76 human remains. Saturday, President Trump visited the region and addressed the loss of property and the loss of life. But this is very sad to see. As far as the lives are concerned, uh, nobody knows quite yet. We're up to a certain number, but we have a lot of people that aren't accounted for. Many survived, but lost nearly everything. No one knows what to do. We're all living minute by minute out here. Some evacuees created a makeshift camp near a Walmart in Chico, California. They have been advised to move on. All we've heard for weeks is by Sunday everybody had to be gone. And so what's your plan? 
Well, I'm going to be the last to leave until everybody's gone because everybody needs help. At least some help has arrived. Brought some hand wipes and some little cat treats and some toilet paper and deodorants and um, toys for the kids. We got some little board games and stuff. Trina Reed and Ronnie Maselli drove from Oakland to Chico to hand out personal items. Two weeks ago, these people had their lives and they were going about their days, everyday uh, normal activities just like we were, and they need help. Help in the wake of tragedy. Dan Shanneman, NBC News. A prestigious private school in Ontario at the center of a sexual assault investigation is now set to launch its own independent probe. The committee will be charged with making the invisible visible. And we need to dive deep and understand what that looks like and why it looks that way. We absolutely have to do better. Eight students from St. Michael's College have been expelled. Another was suspended in the wake of multiple incidents that were recorded and spread through social media. There are also reports the school has sent another video to police. It's not clear if that video is new or a duplicate of the one that the police already have. Hundreds of migrant care workers across the country are sharing their stories both in person and in a new report that was released today. Our research confirms what we already know from our experience. Care workers suffer enormously because they haven't seen their families for a long time. The Coalition for Migrant Workers' Rights in Canada is calling for a new caregiver program that puts an end to forced family separation and poor working conditions. Thousands of women come to Canada every year to take care of Canadian families, but despite their contributions, the Coalition is saying a lot of them are not granted the permanent residency they deserve. As we all know, family is the basic unit of society. It is in families that love, support, care, sharing, good, bad, and beautiful moments develop and grow. As the care workers are separated from our families for a long time, and we are denied these moments. The current care workers program expires in November next year. They are hoping to see reforms put in place before then. Pressure is mounting on U.S. President Donald Trump to take a stronger position in the case of murdered Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The White House is still reluctant to endorse findings from the CIA that the killing was ordered by Saudi Arabia's crown prince. From Washington, here's Jennifer Johnson. President Trump facing a diplomatic dilemma after the CIA concluded that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman ordered the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, confirmed by NBC News. The Crown Prince has repeatedly told the president he was not involved. I don't know, you know, who can really know, but I can say this, he's got many people now that say he had no knowledge. The U.S. has sanctioned 17 Saudi officials involved in the killing, but the president won't say what he'll do if the crown prince lied to him. We do have an ally, and I want to stick with an ally that in many ways has been very good. But lawmakers on both sides are promising swift action. We're going to do as much as we can, as hard as we can, to send a signal to the world this is not the way we expect an ally to act. Any regime that would be involved in murdering a journalist this way um, we should not be walking hand in hand with. President Trump says he's not listened to the recording of Khashoggi's violent murder at the Saudi consulate in Turkey last month. 
The president also said Sunday he will submit written answers to special counsel Robert Mueller on the Russia election investigation by Thanksgiving and probably won't do a sit-down interview. I think we've wasted enough time on this witch hunt. But the president answered questions only about collusion with the Russians, not possible obstruction of justice. Jennifer Johnson, NBC News, Washington. Now imagine being in a skyscraper and getting trapped in an elevator for hours. That is exactly what happened on Friday in Chicago at the former John Hancock Center. It's a hundred story building. Six tourists, including a pregnant woman, got stuck in an elevator on their way down from the 95th floor. Firefighters say two cables snapped, stopping the elevator near the 11th floor. Rescuers had to cut through a wall to free them. It took more than two hours to get them out. A rather different celebrity sighting in Havana, Cuba today. Let's take a look. That is, do you see him there? Actor Will Smith running in a half marathon in the capital. The Hollywood star said he committed to the race at short notice. We're in Havana, Cuba for my, my bucket list on, on three weeks notice. I'm, I'm running a half marathon. Yeah, Smith joined 6,000 people in the race, which has been held every year since 1987. Is that, I think he's kind of show, like, so no training. He just got straight <laughs> in there. With, and a lot of people takes months. Plus, in Cuba, you have to smoke a cigar while you do it. So uh, it's very, yeah. very difficult to do. Yeah, very time. talented. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, get a check-in in sport with Barry and uh, whether we're the one... And today, again, it was, a, it was a pretty nice day, but it's really chilly out there. It's very frosty for the mornings, uh, very cold out there. Yes, chilly for the mornings, but by the afternoon with the sunshine for many areas, it's been beautiful. Look at some of our current temperatures right now. We are sitting at five out of the airport, but overnight tonight with the wind chill, it's going to feel closer to minus four. So be prepared for the early morning hours tomorrow. We are going to see frosty conditions once again. We'll need to bundle up. We've seen the sunshine today to round off the weekend. How long will it last? How more on that coming up very shortly and we've got a great video to show you uh, coming up shortly as well uh, with um, some ice involved okay in the northeastern corners of the province yeah, all right looking forward to that and in sport what's going on well uh, CFL down to two teams now vying mm -hmm. for the Grey Cup next week in Edmonton it's going to be the Stampeders and the Red Blacks the teams that uh, won their respective divisions this year so I guess that makes sense that the top two teams are going to play for the big prize we'll have highlights of both the East and West final NFL Sunday good news for the Seahawks they didn't play but some of the teams they're battling with in the playoffs lost so that's good news you know, okay. sometimes you got to cheer for teams to lose and uh, <laughs> that happened today for the Hawks Welcome back. Well, one of two women lost for two days in the wilderness on Quadra Island is sharing her story of survival with us tonight. The pair set out last Wednesday for what was supposed to be a one-hour dog walk, but then a wrong turn sparked a major search effort. Kristen Robinson reports. Come on. Molly the dog, happy to be back inside after what was supposed to be an hour-long walk, turned into a two-night outdoor ordeal. Because we lost our way, we, we, it was 48 hours later. On Wednesday, November 14th, Karen Talbot and her friend Roberta Gazelle took Molly on a local trail. But one wrong turn landed the trio in a ravine. When we were heading out, she went too far to the left. Instead of going you know, straight, she went this way and then went down. And so we were lost. They hunkered down for the night. By Thursday, a major search effort was underway. The vehicle was found at around 5 a.m. in the morning. 
And that's when the panic was on. It was raining, really raining hard. And we had to get under shelter. Everybody was just getting concerned because we were losing light. And it was also the freeze going to, the forecast was that it was going to, you know, go down cold. As a helicopter hovered overhead, Talbot says a cedar tree saved them on night two. The cedar tree was really nice because it was dry underneath it. Friday would be their lucky day. Talbot heard a whistle from a local. It was wonderful to see her. It was, oh, Heather, I'm so glad. <laughs> Before a chopper was brought in to longline them out. Talbot and her friend grateful to the 90 volunteers who helped bring them home. A rescue that saw them plucked from the Quadra Island backcountry almost unscathed. I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. Kristen Robinson, Global News. All right, let's check in with Yvonne for a look at your weather and some pretty incredible pictures you found. Yes, a great video that was sent in. This was uh, from Tina Zettergreen and Michelle Lampert. Thank you so much. This was last night in Dawson Creek where they had freezing rain and they told us that by the evening hours when there was no car on the road, cars on the road, it was a sheet of ice and they were able to skate on their streets. So that's a great video that was sent in and that was taken last night from Dawson Creek. It'll still be very chilly for the northeastern corner of the province, but we are seeing a break from the freezing rain. So thank you so much. Great video, Sonia. It's fantastic. All right, the reason why we saw freezing rain, we've got this warm air above, cooler on the surface, and when the rain falls on it, it does fall and freeze upon contact. So that's what we're seeing in the piece, and very chilly today for the piece with only a high four degrees, but an improvement. We had that instability just for the early morning hours. Williams Lake today at minus one, interior sections up to four degrees. Very pleasant for us underneath the sunshine today across Metro Vancouver. The airport getting up to 8 in areas Victoria at 9. Currently those sitting below the freezing mark for the central interior and it's the overnight lows across Metro Vancouver will dip down to minus 2 and with the wind chill it'll feel closer to minus 4 for the early morning hours so be prepared as you're heading out for work or school. It'll improve for the afternoon with temperatures very similar to what we're seeing today. Central and southern half of the province with plenty of sunshine. We are going to see a bit of a disturbance along the northern half of the province. This is the blip in the forecast, but we've been benefiting from a ridge of high pressure that's been in place that's given us the sunshine throughout the weekend. It'll continue for a Monday, but on Tuesday, Wednesday, a change starts to push in. For tomorrow along the north coast, it's by the afternoon, an increase in cloud cover, a chance of showers, and towards the evening, more moisture and heavier rain will push in across the north coast, but it does remain dry for the central and southern half of the province. The piece for tomorrow, break from the freezing rain, but the wind chill at minus 9, sunshine over the next three days. Whitehorse will see a very chilly morning over the next two with minus 6 and minus 7. Along the north coast, the showers push in by the afternoon, heavier at times towards the evening. Caribou and central interior, morning fog patches, afternoon sunshine, a clearing is on the way. Columbia and Kootenai region, more breaks by the afternoon. And if you're headed into the Alpine for the Thompson Okanagan, you'll see the sunshine for the morning hours, but there is valley cloud and then all areas will clear out by the afternoon. Whistler, sunny and dry. Tuesday, a balmy one, up to eight degrees. Showers developing on your Wednesday. And along the island, two more dry days, and that's what we're tracking across the south coast. We will see it very chilly once again with the wind chill at minus four frosty for the morning Tuesday an increase in cloud cover should still remain dry it's Wednesday onwards that so we'll start to see the return for some wet weather milder temperatures tomorrow with the sunshine up to nine degrees Sonia all right thanks very much for that Yvonne
Now, they work at top tech companies by day, but a lot of parents in California's Silicon Valley are laying down the law when it comes to screen time for their kids. Betty Yu reports. Six-year-old Charlie loves to play Toka Kitchen, but he knows his time on the iPad is limited. Parents are asking us to definitely limit it by hours and minutes and um, giving very specific roles. And parents are asking us to be sure that we're watching what they're on, especially with YouTube and Netflix. His babysitter, Brittany Miller, has worked for some 400 Bay Area families in the past seven years. She says there's a shift happening. More parents in Silicon Valley are asking nannies to police their child's screen time. In some cases, the addiction is so bad, they're asked to hide the technology altogether and sign a no-phone contract. So in the past, it might have been a comment that a parent would make when they were walking out the door, like, oh, you know, limit screen time to 30 minutes. But now we're actually seeing it more explicitly stated. Lynn Perkins is CEO of San Francisco-based Urban Sitter, which connects sitters with families. There are 25,000 babysitters on the app in the Bay Area. The people who are the most tech savvy are also the ones who are limiting the children's exposure to technology in their own home. That rule may also apply to the nanny. Parents have definitely asked us to stay off our phones during babysitting the children. Um, I always put in the clause that I will have my phone with me in case of an emergency, but I make sure to stay off social media. Nanny shaming has become a new phenomenon in social media parenting groups. They're self-appointed nanny spies. And their first thought is, oh, you know, I need to tell that parent that the nanny is not paying attention when in fact you have no idea if it's actually the child's parent or if they're maybe texting the parent to send them a picture of the kid at the park. Go ahead. For San Francisco parent Kathy Tran, it's all about balance for her two young boys. I actually think that exposing your kids to tech is pretty good. Um, we see how it's changed the world, and I think we're kind of part of this new industrial age that's very tech-centric. So I'm totally happy with screen time for my kids in moderation. In San Francisco, Betty Yu, KPIX 5. All right, let's catch up with sport now with Barry. What do you mm -hmm. got first? We got some football playoffs, okay. CFL style. All right, thanks, Sonia. The uh, Calgary Stampeders realize better than any win. Uh, what you do during the regular season doesn't seem to have much bearing on who wins the Grey Cup. The Stamps have lost the last two title games despite piling up a league-best 28 wins in that span. This year, a slew of injuries to their receiving core led to a late four-game losing skid, but the Stamps righted the ship in time, and today... Well, they're going back to the Grey Cup after beating the Blue Bombers in the West Final. Stamps hadn't played since soundly beating Wally Buono and the Lions at DC Place a couple of weeks ago. Took some time to shake off the rust, but with five minutes to go in the first half, Oli by Mitchell to Eric Rogers for the touchdown. Stamps on the board up 7-6, and then before the half is over, same combination. Rogers with his second TD of the game, 14-6 Calgary. At the half, Stamps defense just did not let the Bombers get any big plays. Matt Nichols sacked for a third time here. Bombers never did get into the end zone. Late in the fourth, Bo Levi to Eric Rogers for his hat trick touchdown. Great grab to elevate and bring it down. Stamps beat the Bombers 22-14. They're going to their third straight Grey Cup next week in Edmonton. Uh, but they'd like to win it this time, unlike 
their last two trips to the big dance. Nation's capital for the East Final, Red Blacks and Ticats. Hamilton could do no wrong last week against the Lions. Well, it was their turn to take a beating today. Second quarter, Trevor Harris to Deontay Spencer. Just gets into the corner of the end zone, 14-3 Ottawa. Jeremiah Mazzoli looked like the MVP last week. This week, he was... Mostly awful. This is uh, one of three interceptions served up by Mazzoli. Jonathan Rose, big return all the way inside the 10. Set up another touchdown, 27-13 Ottawa at the half. Third quarter, Red Blacks keep coming. Harris to Marco Dubois. First CFL touchdown for Dubois, 33-13 Ottawa. The Red Blacks offense pretty much unstoppable. Harris to Brendan Gillanders, 29-yard touchdown, TD pass number five on the day for Trevor Harris, but he wasn't done yet. Early fourth, Harris over the middle to Greg Ellingson, and the big man takes it all the way. Harris was 29 of 32, 367 yards, and a CFL playoff record, six touchdown passes. Ottawa's going to the Grey Cup after blowing up the Ticats 46-27 in the Eastern Final, so it'll be Red Blacks and Stamps next week in Edmonton. The Seahawks have six more games to go. Next up is next Sunday in Carolina against the Panthers, one of the teams they need to catch if they're going to get a wild card spot. And today the Panthers did Seattle a big favor with some questionable strategy in a 2019 loss at lowly Detroit. The Panthers 6-3 and three entering the day. The Lions just 3-6, and six, but Detroit hung tough. They were tied at 13 in the fourth. Matthew Stafford lofting it to... Kenny Galladay, who makes a fantastic catch as he's falling back, hangs on for the 19-yard touchdown, 20-13 to Lions, but Cam Newton brings the Panthers back, calmly hits D.J. Moore for the touchdown, so it's 20-19, to but instead of kicking the extra point to tie it, the Panthers decide to go for the win. They're going to go for two. Newton has all sorts of time, but just misses the throw. A costly loss for Carolina, who fall to 6-4. and four. If Seattle can beat them next week, the Seahawks would have the tiebreaker edge on the Panthers. Cowboys and Falcons, a couple of 4-5 and five teams, also on the edge of the NFL wildcard picture. Fourth quarter, Ezekiel Elliott with the 23-yard touchdown run, and the Cowboys lead by 10, 19-9. But Matt Ryan and the Falcons will answer as Ryan hooks up with Julio Jones. 34-yard touchdown with under two minutes to go. Jones, a great job to hang on to that. The defender all over him ties it up 19-19. But the Cowboys have one last kick, literally, for the win. Brett Maher lining up, and he will just sneak it inside the upright. Jerry Jones loves it. The Cowboys take it 22-19. They're 5-5, five five, just like the Seahawks, but Seattle does have the tiebreaker thanks to a win over Dallas this season. Can anyone stop Drew Brees and the Saints, averaging an NFL best 37 points per game? Defending Super Bowl champion Eagles had no answers today in New Orleans. Already up 17-7. Brees to Traquan Smith, who got rocked, but somehow hangs on for the touchdown. 24-7 at the half, but they uh, kept the pedal down in the second half. Breeze will drop it in perfectly to the dangerous Michael Thomas. 23-yard touchdown, 31-7. And then in the fourth, Breeze with his fourth touchdown pass of the game. Another exceptional throw. 37 yards to Alvin Kamara in stride as the Saints dismantle the Eagles 48-7 to improve to 9-1. That ties them with the Rams and Chiefs for the best record 
in the NFL. Welcome back. The Canucks have recalled Sam Gagne from the AHL to help bolster a sagging offense that struggled during this current five-game losing streak. Gagne has been good down on the farm. He was loaned to the Toronto Marlies where he's got 15 points in 15 games, including seven goals. Makes you wonder if Brock Besser might be out a while with that groin injury. Antoine Roussel also left practice early today. Chris Tanev was not on the ice. Canucks play Winnipeg at home tomorrow before heading back out on the road again for a three-game California road trip. Now, last night, the Canucks played with much more energy than they have the past three, but this late, undisciplined interference penalty by Michael Delzato was very costly. The Habs make them pay. Jonathan Drouin with the screenshot beats Jacob Markstrom. The Habs won at 3-2. The Canucks losing streak at 5. Now, despite the loss, the Canucks felt they deserved better, and they did some good things. It's not like we're playing bad hockey. It's just a matter of... Um, you know, buckling down in, in, um, in the key moments of the games and, and battling through the injuries we have and guys, other guys stepping up. So, um, you know, we have to find a way to get the job done. If you play well more nights than you don't, you're going to be all right. And uh, we're all right. Uh, am I upset that we lost? Yeah, hell yeah. Really upset. But, uh, you know, and our group is too. Uh, we played our asses off tonight. That's not an easy game. You come off a two-week road trip, come home and play at 4 o'clock, and uh, you know, that's a hard game to lose. NHL tonight, Oilers and Vegas Golden Knights. Edmonton blew a 2-0 lead in Calgary last night and lost 4-2. First period opening minute, Matt Benning shot. Deftly tipped by Connor McDavid, way out around the circles. 12th of the year for McDavid, 1-0 Edmonton. Vegas tied it, but the Oilers regained the lead. Alex Chason on the power play. That's his eighth. It's been a nice pickup for Edmonton. Oilers up 2-1 after one, but then, like last night in Calgary, it all falls apart quickly. Three goals in a 2-12 span by Vegas in the second, including this one by Jonathan Marcheseau. It's 4-2 right now in the second. Western Hockey League, Vancouver Giants lose their second straight this weekend. They fall 3-1 to Victoria. The Royals now just six points behind the Giants in the Pacific, and Kamloops wins on the road at Prince George, and Kootenai takes one on the chin at home to Moose Jaw. Final round, RSM Classic from Sea Island, Georgia. Charles Howell III, 54-hole leader. His last PGA Tour win was in 2007. Five times he's had the lead entering the final round of a tournament in his career. Zero wins, but after stumbling out of the gate, three over through three, that birdie on 16 tied him for the lead. Patrick Rogers made the big move today, fired an 862, including this birdie at 18. He and Howell would go to a playoff. Second playoff hole, Howell for the win, and he makes it. Overcome with emotion after falling short so many times, a courageous win for Charles Howell III. Merritt's Roger Sloan finished 70th at 501, 12,800. And the LPGA season came to an end today. Final round of the CME Group Tour Championship from Florida. Lexi Thompson got her first win of the season, took it by four shots over Nelly Corda. But even with the win, Thompson finishes just eighth in the overall standings. Canada's Brooke Henderson was 10th in the tournament and finished second overall, but it was Thailand's Aria Jatanagarn who placed fifth in the tournament and captures the CME Globe for winning the season title. Before, the world was big and there was less to consume. But now, the world is small. We've gone from analyzing to vetting to suffocating, and our minds get made up for us. Before, clarity 
and context and comfort. Now, Uncharted. What to know, when to care, what's objective, what is fair. So in this landscape of now, how do we find our way like before? Global News. Navigate the now. All right, finally tonight. Now, human DNA tests are really growing in popularity right now, but have you ever wondered what breed your dog really is? More and more people are apparently turning to doggy DNA testing to find out more about their pets. But just how accurate are these tests? He is nine. His name is Higgins. Emily DePuri wanted to find out why Higgins was a little different than some of her other dogs. When I got him, I thought he was a Yorkie poo. So she sent off a dog DNA test kit. I sent it off and when I got it back, I was just like, I, see, I knew he wasn't what, it, what I thought he was all along. She found out Higgins is a mix of Yorkie, a Bishaw, and something else. The test kits can vary greatly in cost and quality. On the low end, about $90, all the way up to nearly $400 to find out your pup's ancestry. Vets will tell you there may be some good reasons to find out what makes up your furry friend. The point is to let you know what breed or breeds that your dog is, and that is good for us as veterinarians to know because certain breeds are predisposed to certain genetic conditions. So it may help us know that your pet may be predisposed to a certain heart condition or skin condition. So we decided to test the test kits. So I bought three test kits and followed the instructions. Then we sent off the dog DNA samples. I bought a Wisdom Panel 2.0 and two test kits from Viagard. The one from Wisdom Panel tells me Crash is 50% American Staffordshire Terrier, with Chow, German Shepherd, Lab, and Rottweiler thrown in. But here's where it gets surprising. The test kits from Biogard tell us he's American Bulldog, Lab, and Staffordshire Bull Terrier. But when we sent in the same sample from Crash with a different photo of a purebred Golden Retriever, the results were very different. Golden Retriever and Lab, it said. So. I called the company. Hi, this is Jeff Patterson. Hi, it's Jeff Patterson. I called and called, but the company wouldn't call back. Then we found this. The address we sent our doggy DNA sample to appears to be a small pet store between a Big Lots and a Rite Aid in Hamburg, New York. I called businesses on either side of that location and asked, do they have a DNA lab there? And was told, nope, it's just a pet store. So depending on which doggy DNA test kit you buy, you may be barking up the wrong family tree to find out who your pooch really is. Huh. Mm. Barking I guess, up the wrong tree. Yes. yes. I guess it also a lot of the uh, dogs are made up of uh, a combination of all the dogs in the neighborhood. I guess right. that could be if they yeah. run wild before and that's who their parents are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but people are getting scammed. I quite, yeah, all dogs are lovely. Yeah. That's all we've got to say. <laughs> it doesn't matter, really, does it? That's right. They're still right. your best friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of weather, um, well, I'm just trying to get the second guess when it's going to start to snow here. I've, I've got a five-year-old One can only hope. Well, you could go to Sun Peaks because they just that's opened true. up. Yeah. So that's a possibility. Uh, and for us, though, it is going to be very chilly. A final look at our five-day forecast. It's for the early morning hours. That minus two with the wind chill will feel like minus four if you're heading out early tomorrow morning. By the afternoon, it'll be very similar to what we're seeing today with that sunshine. We'll climb up to nine degrees. An increase in cloud cover on Tuesday, and it's Wednesday onwards that we'll start to see that change on the way. So. All right. Thanks, everyone, and thank you for watching. Have a very good evening. Good night. <laughs>